This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature, and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Are you sure that bananas are bananas? Because if we find out that bananas are fucking berries, I'm going to take <laughs> They're actually a nut. Just kidding. Oh my god. Everything that says it's a nut is a lie. Nuts aren't real. <laughs> wait, wait. It turns out that blackberries, mulberries, and raspberries are not berries at all, but bananas, pumpkins, avocados, and cucumbers are. God, I'm done. <laughs> I am done with food. Here's the thing, people. All categories of food are a lie, it it's turns true. out. <laughs> Don't believe any of that food pyramid shit. It's all a lie. <laughs> well, and if you look at, like, the botanical terms for things... um, a vegetable is like the leaf or the stalk or the root or something that you eat, whereas a fruit is something that um, is the fruiting body. So it's what makes the babies. So our idea of vegetables and fruits isn't even right. Why are bananas berries? I'm not okay. <laughs> I was, you said, I, why? These bananas aren't berries, and my brain instantly went, I'm so, I swear to God, I heard one time in class. <laughs> yes, they were, so I had to Google it. <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. Bananas are berries. <laughs> and everything you think you know is probably a lie. Everything I think I know about bananas is a lie. <laughs> Except how to spell it. I'm, I know how to do that. C-O-C-A-I-N-E. Yes. <laughs> you ready to laugh? Yes. I am extremely ready. So okay. I'm very excited because you said that this was bananas. Oh, yeah. They're all bananas. Except for the berries. <laughs> Except for the berries. <laughs> Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special will make you want to go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house, even though everyone knows you should never go into the woods ever. Unless you want to die, and then do it. <laughs> yes, that is true. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me are two ladies that make my life merry and bright, 
Ashley and Emily. Yeah, Aww. I went full cheese this week. You did. You did. That was <laughs> super cheesy, and I appreciate it very much. So before I dive in, I'd like to give a special shout out to our patrons, Joel, Nix, and Alex. Thank you for supporting our pizzeria. And if you would like to join them, stick around to hear how. Thank you. So with that, let's dive into our dishes, shall we? Yum, yum. <laughs> I didn't bring my <laughs> swimsuit. <laughs> to start off the evening, our appetizer may just have you singing for your supper. So, I'm going to be reading you a Christmas carol because I don't know what it actually sounds like, and I don't feel like singing right now. So, <laughs> okay. Sorry about it. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel, when a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. Hither, page, and stand by me, if thou know'st it telling. Yonder peasant, who is he? Where and what his dwelling? Sire, he lives a good league hence, underneath the mountain, right against the forest fence by St. Agnes' fountain. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I shall see him dine when we bear him thither. Page and monarch, forth they went, forth they went together. Through the rude winds, wild lament, and the bitter weather. Sire, the night is darker now, and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart, I know not how, I can go no longer. Mark my footsteps, good my page, tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. In his master's step he trod, where the snow lay dented. Heat was in the very sod, which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing. Ye who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find blessing. I actually love that song. It's one of my I know favorite it Christmas too. songs. I know it too. I've never heard it. Or maybe I have and I just yep. don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Love Actually? Yes. Then you have heard Hugh Grant sing it to some children, at least the oh, first few lines. Okay. 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 Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. When a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. That's the song. How come okay. you're so good at singing and we're just now <laughs> finding out about it? It's my secret. Okay. No, it's not. It's not really a secret. I sing all the time. No, it's not a secret. So this popular Christmas carol, which was written in 1853 by John Mason Neal, although the melody comes from a 13th century song called Tempus Adest Floridium, or Floridum in honor of spring, was penned for the Feast of St. Stephen, also known as Boxing Day. It discusses the practice of charitable giving on the second day of Christmas. What many may not know, however, are the gruesome true details behind this beloved song. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna ruin your life. <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> the man behind the carol was a real person named Wenceslas I, Duke of Bohemia. 
He was also referred to as Václav the Good, and another name in Czech that I'm afraid to pronounce. So I wasn't even going to try. <laughs> he was born in 907 Common Era, but wasn't a member of the Christian faith. His mother, Drahomira, was the daughter of a pagan tribal chief of Havolans, and she was ultimately baptized prior to her marriage to his father, Uratislas. He was born the eldest son and had one younger brother named Bolislav. Sounds sexy. <laughs> he sounds hairy. <laughs> Bolislav. <laughs> Wenceslas was educated by his grandmother, Ludmila, who lived in Prague. She, along with her chaplain Paul, raised him as a devout Christian. And when he was of age, he was sent to college in Budvis. Budvis? where he <laughs> furthered his education and became even more devout in his beliefs. Meanwhile, as his father lay dying, his mother, Drahomira, assumed the mantle of regent, and in one telling was said to have let her, quote, paganism run rampant throughout the government, end quote, punishing those in the church who practiced and forbidding the instruction of Christianity to children. She also raised her youngest son, Bolislav in her pagan traditions, stirring up hatred within him for Christianity. Yeah. Upon Wenceslas's father's death, there was political strife in Bohemia. The people of Bohemia wished for Wenceslas to rule, and in an effort to avoid war, the country was split in two, with one half given to his younger brother, Bolislav. I have to say this name so much. However... (laughs) Boleslav, later known as Boleslav the Cruel, didn't want half the country. He wanted the whole thing. Shocker, I know. It's like when you break a cookie in half for kids and they're like, no, man. I he want got the, the bigger thing. half. Yep. Drahomira, having lost her title of regent upon the ascent of Wenislaus to the, crown, to the throne in 921 CE, looked for ways to punish her pious son. She put together a plot to kill her mother-in-law, Ludmila, who learned of the plot. Ludmila was not afraid to die, and so she instead prepared for it by gifting her goods and money amongst her servants and the poor. She was later strangled by assassins with her own veil as she was praying before the altar in the church at her home. She was later honored in Bohemia as a martyr, and her day is September 16th. Meanwhile... Bolislav was plotting with a group of three nobles in September of 935 CE to kill his older brother. It was decided that it would happen at a celebration in honor of the birth of his son. Happy birthday. (laughs) No kidding. Wenceslas accepted the invitation to rejoice the birth of his nephew and went without without suspecting that anything ill would befall him. Because why would it if you just go in to celebrate the birth of his nephew? Later that night, on September 28, 935 CE, three nobles, Tira, Chesta, and Hayesa, each stabbed Wenceslas as he was conducting his nightly prayers in church before his younger brother ran him through with a lance, which essentially killed him. Yeah. In some places it said he was dismembered, but I couldn't confirm that. It was only really listed in like one place. So mm-hmm. 
Wenceslas was considered a martyr following his death and was promoted to King of Bohemia after Holy Roman Emperor Otto I granted him the title posthumously in 937 CE. To honor him, the date of his death, September 28th, was later named Saint's Day following his canonization. Cosmas of Prague wrote in 1119 CE that Saint Wenceslas, quote, rising every night from his noble bed with bare feet and only one chamberlain, he went around to God's churches and gave alms generously to widows, orphans, those in prison and afflicted by every difficulty, so much so that he was considered not a prince, but the father of all the wretched, end quote. So this is now going to be the legend behind the Christmas carol. So legend states that on Christmas Day, Duke Wenceslas would visit each of his servants and soldiers in his castle and give them each a gold coin, after which he would say, May the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was born on this day, lies, bless you and watch <laughs> over you. Stop telling people lies, dude. Stop. <laughs> he made his way from the kitchen to the guardhouse to the laundry, to the maids and the stables before entering the dungeons. After giving his verbal blessings to each of the prisoners, because he wouldn't give them money, he last came upon an old woman with eyes of piercing blue. Turning to the jailer, he asked what crime she had committed, to which the jailer replied, quote, My lord, she is a priestess of the old school. She performed pagan rites and led the people in the worship of false gods, end quote. This saddened the Duke, who said that if she had been guilty of a lesser crime, even murder, he could have let her go, so she could die in her bed with her family. Turning to the old woman, he said, Do you not see now how the Christian religion teaches mercy and kindness? This Christmas day I have pressed gold into the hands of the lowliest servant in my castle. Are you not impressed by my good works in the name of Jesus Christ? Um, no. Dude, if you have to brag about it later, you're doing it wrong. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you know. As the good place tells us, your motivations are wrong. Yep. Do you not renounce the devil and your gods and come to the true savior? Only say the words, I do, and you shall be rid of your chains this Christmas day. In response, the priestess fixed the duke with her piercing eyes and stated, quote, the scummiest jailer in your castle is a lord in comparison to the peasants outside. You have no idea what it means to live in a hovel, to freeze in depths of winter, to have rags for clothes and a few sticks for a fire. Throw coins to your groveling servants if it makes you feel good before you stuff yourself with rich food. Only don't talk to me of your false charity. End quote. <laughs> oh, snap. She threw that right back at him. I know. I was like, damn, girl. He's going to need some aloe for that sick burn. <laughs> Seriously. The Duke didn't order her whipped, as it was Christmas. But he shook his head at her and headed back through the busy castle with her words repeating in his head. He ordered his servant to bring him his fur-lined cloak, hat, gloves, and boots, while another servant strapped his sword to his side. His horse was brought into the courtyard, and a small ladder was placed next to it. The duke soon mounted his horse, and with his page following him, headed out into the village. The page led the duke towards the home of his grandmother, 
and along the way they ran into her at the drinking well, using a long pole to break up the ice. The duke gave his page a gold coin and instructed him to give it to his grandmother, which he did with much happiness. Upon seeing this, the other peasants rushed towards the duke and begged him for money. The duke tossed a handful of coins upon the ground, after which they dove to scoop them up. Threw some elbows, too. After this, the duke returned to the castle to celebrate Christmas, but he didn't feel any better about what happened in the village. The following day, which was the Feast of St. Stephen, even though there was boxing, jousting, music, dancing, and tons of food, the duke still couldn't enjoy the festivities. He left the banquet hall and went to the ramparts of the castle for some fresh air, where he looked down upon the village. Below, he saw peasants searching for and gathering sticks for the fire. At once, he called for his page and instructed him to bring the best food and wine from the banquet, along with some logs, which he intended to take down to the man. As he headed down to the gates to meet his page, the servants came to him with his fur-lined clothes and boots as they had the night before, but he refused them and instead took off his shoes and stood barefoot upon the snow-covered ground. Once the page had arrived, he and the duke headed into the village on foot, both carrying gifts for the pe- for the peasant, I almost said pheasant, for the <laughs> peasant that the duke had seen. The servants, convinced that he had gone mad, could only watch with dread, worried that he would die in the cold. As the peasant was heading back to the village, the duke and his page hurried after him. Even though the duke's bare feet would sink deep into the snow, he never faltered and continued on. His page, who could feel the chill of the snow creeping in from his boots as the wind cut into his face, called out to the duke that he could go no further before falling to his knees. The duke, looking back upon his page, noticed that he could clearly see his footprints illuminated in the snow, and instructed the page to literally follow in his footsteps, which he did, and his energy seemed to be restored. The pair managed to catch up with the peasant just before he reached the village, and upon receiving their gifts, he thanked and blessed them. When the duke and his page returned to the castle, the duke immediately released the old woman from jail. The people of England and Bohemia venerated St. Wenceslas, with one 12th century preacher saying of him, quote, His deeds I think you know better than I could tell you, for, as is read in his passion, no one doubts that, rising every night from his noble bed, with bare feet and only one chamberlain, he went around to God's churches and gave alms generously to widows, orphans, those in prison, and afflicted by every difficulty. Which I already read, so I don't know why I put it in here twice. Anyway. <laughs> just that good. <laughs> it was just that good I had to put it in there twice. So nice you said it twice. Yeah. Apparently that was a, that was a copy and paste error on my part. <laughs> Uh, he's interred at St. Vitus's Cathedral in Prague, and the anniversary of his death is celebrated as a public holiday in the Czech Republic. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't know all that behind that song. Um, I feel like celebrating someone's death day is kind of harsh, but all right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, cool, this guy was totally stabbed to death and then skewered with the lance. <laughs> Let's party. Sometimes you just get murdered. It's fine. You know, whatever. (laughs) Someone stabs you in the heart. Whatever. It's just another Tuesday. Yep. You're dead? Oh, how about you be king of the whole country now? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can use that in the afterlife. 
somewhere he's like hell yeah as the whole country's like okay but how do we run he's dead (laughs) ingredients for this dish was sourced from a 2020 insider article titled from hanging stockings to caroling these 10 holiday traditions have surprisingly bizarre origins by sophia mitrocostas (laughs) (laughs) sorry if i said that wrong a 2018 Classic FM article titled The Real Story Behind the Carol Good King Wenceslas by Elizabeth Davis, the Bartleby website, Story Nori website, and Wikipedia. And now that we've had our appetizer, I'll be right back with your next slice. Thanks for waiting. Careful, our next course has got some bite to it. Oh. <laughs> Break out those chompers. Let's go. (laughs) Put in your dentures, Grandma. For our main course, we're traveling to the Alsace-Lorraine region of France, near the German border. I probably said that wrong. Alsace-Lorraine region of France, near the German border. It's here that we'll learn of the legend of Hans Tropp. I got really excited because I thought you were going to say Hans Gruber, and now I'm sad. (laughs) Hans was, according to legend, a vain, heartless, cunning, cruel, and greedy man that saw himself excommunicated from the Catholic Church in the 15th century for supposedly chilling with the devil, using witchcraft (laughs) to become rich and influential. Chilling with the devil. Okay. (laughs) I remember being particularly saucy when I was writing this one, so buckle up. (laughs) As well as being kicked out of the church for sacrilege, Satanism, and demonolatry, he had his status and lands stripped from him, and he was also ostracized from his village. Hans fled to the mountains of Bavaria in Germany, where he lived as a hermit in a makeshift home on the mountain of Geisberg. Fueled by rage against the church and the villagers who spurned him, all he could think about was getting revenge. He became so obsessed with this idea, he eventually went insane. It's unclear when exactly it happened, but at some point Hans thought to himself, you know what's missing from my life? cannibalism (laughs) oh oh, I do not know about that Hans I do not know what a classic Christmas tradition we have here cannibalism classic Hans Hans disguised himself as a scarecrow by stuffing straw into his ragged clothes and he would gather sticks in the field as he lay in wait for the perfect victim he one day spotted a young shepherd boy as he made his way through the woods Before the boy knew what was happening, Hans had run him through with a sharpened stick. Returning to his camp, he then cut him into small pieces before cooking him over a fire. However, before he was able to take his first bite of charbroiled long pig, God was like, you know what, bro? Fuck that noise, and killed Hans with a bolt of lightning. Oh, (laughs) sorry, I didn't expect that. I didn't either when I first read it. I was like strange flex to wait until after he'd murdered and cooked a child, but all right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just because God took him out, that doesn't mean that was the end of old Hans. During the dark days of winter, he's said to return to the village, 
dressed as a scarecrow with a hood obscuring his face, looking for tasty young children that he can whisk away. But of course, he only takes the naughty ones. I guess that's better? Question mark? Question mark? We're okay with this socially. (laughs) Only if they're bad. It's said that at some point, Hans became pals with St. Nick in an effort for redemption. And he goes around with him to urge naughty children to change their ways so they don't end up as crazy devil-worshipping cannibals like he did. Considered a popular boogeyman that children fear upon the utterance of his name, what many people don't realize is that the legend of this cannibalistic madman is actually rooted in truth. What? Oh, yes. Hans von Trauta was born into the aristocratic, I said that on purpose, aristocratic (laughs) Trauta family in 1450 and was the fourth son of Tilo von Trauta. He entered service of the electors and counts Palatine in Heidelberg in the late 1470s as a young man. Quick question, are we sure it wasn't Tila Tequila? <laughs> Was Tila Tequila 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 Tequila? Swear. Yum. Was Tila Tequila a knight? I don't know. Let's ask. Hans later became a knight in 1480 and Philip the Sincere gave him the hereditary fiefs of two castles in the French-slash-German territory of Palatine, Beerwartstein and Grafendon. So apparently Grafendon was basically just like a super shitty castle that hadn't really been kept up, so it really wasn't worth a whole lot of anything. Here's my trash castle. (laughs) Here's your trash castle. Oh, okay, well then I should live there, because that suits. (laughs) Trash castle, thank you. So in 1485, Hans argued with the church over the property of Berwartstein and its riches. But the abbot Henry of the Order of Benedictine Monks at Weisenberg Abbey refused to hand over the property to Hans as it belonged to the monastery. Henry stated that the property had not been given to Hans legally, as the castle had been placed simply under the elector's protection in 1453. So basically, that whole uh, Philip the Sincere guy who was watching the castle didn't have any legal right to give him the castle. So he was less than sincere? He was super unsincere. Yeah. In retaliation... Hans built a dam on the Weislauter River that stopped the supply of water to the nearby town of Weissenberg. The abbot had the dam destroyed, which resulted in the town being flooded, destroying the homes and businesses of the villagers. Son of a bitch. Come on, dude. You can't just destroy a dam. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Because at first he was, Hans was like, well, then you guys aren't going to have any water. And then the abbot's like, fuck that, we need our water. Destroy the dam. (laughs) And then all those people were like, um, thanks for ruining my life. I don't know what I had to do with any of this. Come on. 
Hans continued to fight with the abbot regarding the church, regarding the castle. I don't know why I put church. Regarding the castle. And even the pleading of the emperor to cease the conflict couldn't persuade Hans to stop. The argument between the pair continued to escalate before Hans was eventually summoned before Pope Innocent VIII in 1491. Hans refused to travel to Rome to plead his case, and eight years later he was once again summoned to the papal court, this time before Alexander VI, because Pope Innocent died. (laughs) You whispered that part like it was a secret. (laughs) Guys, guess what? Popes are really old, usually from the beginning, because you gotta work your way up. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, he died. Hans once again refused, this time via letter, but it didn't matter as he was excommunicated from the church. In an effort to distance themselves from Hans, so they too wouldn't also face excommunication. Oh no, not excommunication! (laughs) No! Philip the Sincere and Emperor Maximilian I pronounced an imperial ban on Hans in 1496. (laughs) You have been banned! An imperial ban on a person? (laughs) I can't even. How? how? (laughs) I I don't know. No more Hans. None. (laughs) No more Hans for you. (laughs) So... (laughs) Even though there is no written record of Hans transforming himself into a scarecrow that hunts down and eats children, he continued to do well for himself even after he was thrown out of the church. See, Hans was sent to the French royal court during the Italian wars because of his diplomatic skills. Uh, Yeah, he had so many diplomatic skills after all that shit he just went through. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay, but to be fair... He wasn't the one that flooded those people. (laughs) (laughs) That was the abbot. (laughs) Where later, he was given the Chevalier d'Or knighthood by King Louis VII. No, the 12th. That's an X. King Louis XII. The (laughs) Savoelth. During his death on October. Why can I read? <laughs> Jesus Wait, Christ! Did you just say October? <laughs> no, he said during October. his death. October. On October. I like mushed like five <laughs> words together. <laughs> I can't read. Okay, let's try that again. Upon his death on October 26, 1503, of natural causes in his castle at Berbartstein, so he ended up getting it. All of the charges of his misdeeds were reversed, and he was forgiven. Lucky him. Oh, yes, because once someone's dead, they're automatically good, and we're not allowed to talk shit on them anymore, even though I still do. (laughs) (laughs) He is buried in St. Anne's Chapel in Niederschlettenbach. Yes. I did it. Me, dear, Schlettenbach. No, shit, I said it wrong. Me, dear, Schlettenbach. Damn it. I liked me, dear, better. I know, I did too, and then I realized there was one less even. is typically in dear. So today, 
Hans Tropp is said to have a white beard, a pointed hat, and carry a wooden rod, in addition to dressing as a scarecrow so that he can beat small children if they're naughty. Okay, but I'm still not totally sure he was the bad guy because he didn't <laughs> flood the village. <laughs> Am I the only one getting hung up on the flooded village? <laughs> I think it's something where like, the abbot was like, you have to break the dam. So he didn't necessarily break the dam. I think Hans ended up breaking the dam. But I don't think the abbot realized that by breaking the dam, he was going to be flooding the village. Okay, but even if Hans is the one that broke the dam, if the abbot was like, you have to break the dam, it's still the abbot's fault. I'm not disagreeing with you. This is like murder for hire. (laughs) I'm just saying. The person that was like, you're going to do this is still the bad guy. (laughs) And, you know, usually in Murder for Hire, then yes, also the person that shot or stabbed or garroted or whatever the other person is also a bad guy. (laughs) So ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Farmer's Almanac article titled Seven Scary Christmas Characters That Will Haunt Your Dreams by Amy Grissick. A 2020... Folder's travel article titled Seven Spooky Christmas Legends from Around the World by Jesse Tabbitt, a 2020 Ripley's article titled The Terrible Tale of Hans Trop, The Christmas Scarecrow by Chris Littlechild, 2019 CTV News article titled Scary Christmas, A Look at the World's Most Unusual, Creepy, and Odd Holiday Traditions by Christy Somos, 2019 The Guardian article titled The Seven Most Terrifying Christmas Traditions Around the World by J. Oliver Conroy. A 2018 Pathios blog post titled The Child-Eating Scarecrow of Christmas by Matt Aureen. 2017 History Collection article titled Ten Terrifying Christmas Customs and Legends from Around the World Will Give You Chills by Natasha Sheldon. 2013 Scary for Kids blog post And last but not least, Wikipedia. Thirsty? Let me go grab you another drink, and I'll be right back. Thanks for waiting. I hope you've saved room for dessert, as this one isn't as sweet as it might first appear. Oh, God. If you live in the UK, you're probably familiar with the popular Christmas dish known as mincemeat pie. Uh, Oh, oh, but what... This festive dish is made with fruit, spices like cinnamon and nutmeg, and a mix of herbs. But it's rumored that once upon a time, back in the 16th century, or the 1500s, this dish had a, shall we say, more meaty and rather unsavory beginning. Babies! (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Historians in 2016 particularly a blogger named C.R. Barry, wrote about how the dish was actually invented by a group of French cannibals. They decided to make pies filled with a mix of fruit, spices, and minced meat to hide the fact that the source of the protein was actually people. The reason mincemeat pies today are now meat-free? Probably to hide the fact that they started as such a horrific dish. (laughs) I could do it. In Paris in 1384, the butcher of Rue de Marmoset was one of the most well-known of his trade in the entirety of France. 
of his wares. His pâtés and meat pies were what sold the most. People from all over the country would travel to Paris just to try them. Even King Charles VI reportedly came to sample his wares. Well, next to the butcher shop was the town barber, who had a large number of patrons. Was his name Sweeney Todd? No. Damn. But keep that in mind. Who had a large number of patrons and was particularly popular amongst foreign students who were in the city to study philosophy. It's said that when he would find himself alone with one of these foreigners, his hand would occasionally slip, and he would slit the throat of the unsuspecting student before they were sent down a chute into the basement, a basement that he shared with his neighbor, the butcher. The butcher would then proceed to chop, grind, and mash the body until they were at a consistency where they could be the key ingredient for one of his famous meat pies. The reason they would slaughter and serve foreigners? Because it was far less likely that their families would miss them right away, or even notice that they were gone until long after they'd been served to the unsuspecting people of Paris. This practice between the two men took place for years, and it wasn't until a young German student went missing that the life of crime the two had been living began to crumble in 1387. Remember, this took place in 1384, so three years. The police had no idea where to even begin to look for the missing student, until they noticed something peculiar about the student's dog. The dog would stay outside the barber shop day and night, barking and seemingly waiting for his master to exit the building. It wasn't long before the police decided it was worth looking into, and that's when the basement of horrors was discovered. Ugh. The butcher and barber were arrested, taken outside the city hall of Paris, and soon hanged. As for the student's dog, he was awarded the Medal of Honor for solving the case and those of the other missing students. So good job, puppy. Who's the goodest boy? Who's the goodest boy? boy? So if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds familiar just like Emily was, I'm not surprised, as it inspired the tale of Sweeney Todd, who first appeared in A Penny Dreadful in 1847. The location of Sweeney Todd changed from the then small city of Paris to the bustling city of London, where barber Sweeney Todd partnered with his neighbor, Mrs. Lovett, whose pies were the worst in London before Sweeney showed up. The story of the original butcher and barber in Paris may not be the true inspiration for the story of Sweeney Todd, however. There are other reports of a similar tale taking place in the 17th century during the French Revolution, but there is no proof of any questionable murders taking place. It is more likely that the British were trying to paint the French as barbaric, cannibalistic commoners. What? That that never happens in history. What? (laughs) Once upon a time in the UK being able to afford a mincemeat pie meant you were doing rather well for yourself. At that time, the pies were filled with savory meats like lamb or minced beef, which was a luxury that not everyone could indulge in. One of the earliest mentions of a pie filled with meat and spices appeared in an English cookbook from 1390 titled A Form of Curry, which called for the maker to grind up pork, hard-boiled eggs, and cheese 
before mixing in spices, saffron, and sugar. At this point in history, meat pies would have been intended as a full meal, not as the small tart-like pastries that they are now. And I read that back then, you wouldn't actually keep the pastry part. Like, that was more just kind of to act as a vessel for the meat. That's interesting. Like, it's basically just like a casserole dish to cook the meat in. You wouldn't actually eat the pie. Do you remember that episode of The Office where Michael eats an entire family-sized pot pie? Yeah, the chicken (laughs) pot pie. (laughs) And then he falls asleep at his desk. So around the mid-17th century is when mince pies seemed to start being tied to the holiday of Christmas, although they were still enjoyed throughout the rest of the year. And remember our boy Oliver Cromwell? Uh-huh. Yep, I remember him. So yeah, that guy didn't like things that were festive. And he had spice treats, of which mince meat pie was one, made illegal at that time. He had to have been the ultimate party pooper. Everybody's like, oh god, it's Oliver. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't fun at parties. No. Because he didn't like parties. <laughs> When he banned that stuff, I heard he said, Happy birthday, Jesus. Sorry. (laughs) He's so lame. A 1661 book about the... I didn't... Fuck, I didn't translate this. Interanum? A.K.A. When the Puritans Ruled the Country. The author included a rhyme that goes as follows. This is really good. Quote, All plums the prophet's sons defy. And spice broths are too hot. Treasons in a December pie, and death within the pot. End quote. Spicy. <laughs> in 1850, Washington Irving wrote, quote, Nearly two centuries had elapsed since the fiery persecution of poor mince pie throughout the land, when plum porridge was denounced as mere potpourri. End quote. Don't eat potpourri. <laughs> By the mid-1800s, mincemeat pies sans meat started to make an appearance, partially due to the fact that sugar was starting to become easier to acquire, which ushered in the era of sweet pies. In 1861, a cookbook by Mrs. Beaton provided directions on how to make meat pies as well as a sweet, meat-free version. By the time that the Victorian era came along, mince pies were almost exclusively meat-free. This doesn't mean that the act of making meat-free pies, especially long pig-free pies, has faded into obscurity. Wait, 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 say that again? (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't mean that the act of making meat-free pies, especially long pig-free pies, has faded into obscurity. There are reports that in 2014, a trio of Brazilians continued this bizarre and horrifying tradition of baking their victims into pastries when they made empanadas with the flesh of their victims and sold them to their neighbors. Oh, God. So glad I don't eat pie right now. (laughs) But don't worry, they were caught but it makes you want to not trust anyone ever again. But, I mean, 
I have a hard time trusting people anyway. Oh, I was going to say, are we not doing that already? Because pretty much every interaction I have with a human ends with me being like, I don't know if I can trust any of these things. (laughs) Fair. Regarding the story of the French butcher and baker, a folk song was written in 1387, the same year that the pair were said to be executed, titled The Legend of the Barber and the Bloody Pastry Seller. That goes as follows, and I didn't translate this French, so fuck my life. Oh no, it's all in French? No, but there's a street that is in French, and I didn't translate it. So, uh, wait, did I translate it earlier? What if both of them were going, but not at the same time? <laughs> it was just like... Deuce and deuce and deuce and deuce and... I can't see! I can't see! Okay, I think we're better now. It stopped, it stopped twitching. And Rue... Nope, it's back. And Rue de Duharmi, near the Mamose, were two accursed souls by their dreadful crimes. The bloodthirsty barber and reckless baker, discovered by a dog, making the world eat, by fruitful cruelty, the flesh of a Christian. Oh no! Fruitful cruelty. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, as a fun aside, the law banning mincemeat pies during the reign of Cromwell was never actually repealed. So it's a bit of a well-known fact that anyone who eats them in the UK is actually breaking the law. What? Oh, that's fun. But I doubt it's something you're going to get arrested for, because everyone does it. And everybody's like, fuck Cromwell. Yeah, pretty much. So mincemeat pies are the weed of England. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Has anybody else had its priest? Have a little priest going through their head this whole time. No, I have parts, like the little parts that I actually know of the song about London from the beginning of Sweeney Todd stuck in my head. (laughs) And I barely know any of it, so it's the same couple lines over and over again. (laughs) I know, I saw like this little paragraph about mincemeat pies being started by cannibals, and I was like, I need to go down this rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes by the name of London! (laughs) So ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2019 Discover Walks blog post titled Parisian Legends Explained, Paris's Butcher Barber by Eli, a 2017 BBC article titled The Strange and Twisted History of Mince Pies by Veronique, Green- Veronique Greenwood, a 2016 Daily Star article titled Mince Pies, Invited by Cannibalistic Cults to Hide What They Were Really Eating by Tom Evans, in 2016, the richest article titled 15 Urban Myths You Probably Didn't Know About Christmas by Melissa Kay. And that's our savory dinner. That was a flavor I was not expecting to be eating tonight. You're welcome. Delicious. It makes me think of um, when we cover- when I did the story about the ghouls. Oh, Halloween, yeah. And the guys in India that dug bodies up and made it into curry, corpse curry. Yeah. 
corpse curry. <laughs> we're gonna... I feel like eventually we're gonna get sued by Red Robin because of how often we use their little tune to say things that you shouldn't eat. Corpse curry. Yum. Yum. Baby pies. Oh, no. Please don't sue us. I don't uh-huh. have anything in my life is already dread. <laughs> All right. On that uh, cannibalistic note, does anybody <laughs> have anything good they'd like to share? Well, I clean my glasses again because my my eyes were like touching the glass for some reason. <laughs> That's a problem. I don't think your eyeballs are supposed well, to like, do that. Well, when it was like twitching, it like got closer and closer to the glass and I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Something good. I was trying to come up with something fun that we might have eaten recently. That would have been a fun segue. I had some corpse curry the other day and it was delightful. (laughs) No, I didn't do that. Coconut milk and saffron really sold it. You know, so I went shopping at Walmart and it said it was 80-20 beef, but I don't know. (laughs) Please don't. I buy the beef at Walmart. I need to be able to still eat something. (laughs) Something good. So this past weekend, we decorated the Christmas tree for the boys, and they had a good old time with that. Of course, we found out as we were trying to put the tree together that like half the lights on the tree were out, and then the cats came over and decided to fight in the lower branches, and then they killed like another quarter of the lights. (laughs) (laughs) So we had this really (laughs) doofy looking tree that was like, duh, I'm lit up. I'm a Christmas tree. So we had to go and get a whole bunch of lights, but we had a lot of fun decorating it. And it pretty much looks like the kids took every single ornament that we have ever owned and just lobbed it at the tree and hoped that it would stick. So it's cute-ish. Pretty ugly, but cute. And they had fun. Um, I guess mine can be that I feel like things are going well with my job. You get yeah. to be a detective. You did, like, that really cool thing where you, like, took the reflection off of something to see, like... I did. I used the reflection off of the hood of a car in a picture to figure out where they took the picture. Did you say... Did you type on your computer and go, enhance? (laughs) Enhance. Enhance. No. I just clicked on that little magnifying glass thingy to zoom in. (laughs) And then I flipped it so I could read it. And I was like, I know where this was. (laughs) That's still really cool. It is. It's very Felicity Smoke. (laughs) I felt really good that day. It was really cool. I was very proud of you. I definitely would have been like, enhance. Enhance every time I click that damn little button. Mm Mm-hmm. Same. Um, So I finished this book for book club. And it's called Burn Town by... I gotta look up her name now. Because it was a really good book. By Jennifer McMahon. And it was like a a murder mystery thriller with like a sci-fi twist to it. And it was really, really good. Like I had a hard time putting it down. So if you have a chance to read it, do it. A murder mystery with a sci-fi twist. Like what was it about? So it was basically, without spoiling the entire book, it was about um, this family where the dad's mother is murdered 
and he he witnesses the crime, but the guy is wearing like a mask, a chicken mask, and his family gets these plans that are supposedly built, uh, created by Thomas Edison for this machine that can do something really cool that I'm not going to spoil. And the chicken man. The chicken man. uh, Continues (laughs) to reappear throughout the book. And as more and more people in this family continue to die, the story unfolds from like different people's perspectives as they're like interchanging with each other. So like each chapter is written from a different person's point of view. When these like five key players sort of like interact with one another. It's really hard to explain, but it's written extremely well. I had a hard time putting it down. That's why I was so late making my notes for this episode because I was I wanted to finish it. But yeah, it's a really good it book. It sounds really good. But also Thomas Edison was a dick. I just yeah. people to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the invention that he supposedly made is like really creepy. I was not a fan. I was like, ooh. Well, IRL, he shadily helped people figure out how to use electrocution to kill people to discredit Nikola mm-hmm. Tesla. Yep. So fuck that guy. Yep. Sorry about your luck, Tesla. Have you seen that movie about Edison and Tesla? Yeah, I have. That was the current good. war. So, yeah. I think that's pretty good. It's really good. It had it has uh, Tom Hiddleston, not Tom Hiddleston. Jesus Christ, Ashley, they're not all the same person. <laughs> it has Benedict Cumberbatch in it. It's not Tom Hiddleston, and then it has um, shit. The other Tom, the one that plays Spider Man, Tom Holland. Thank you. Why do I always fucking mix them up? Like, yes, Tom H. And they're British. They're not the, the same person. <laughs> they don't even look good, alike. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good movie. I would recommend it to anyone who enjoys history and pettiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Nice. But yeah, that sounds like a really good book. I feel like I would enjoy that. I yeah. should read it, but I will I not. I think you would probably get around to it i have to finish this huge book laying on the desk behind me and i can't i can't <laughs> yeah and i just feel kind of cool because i'm the one that picked it out not, not that i'm gonna try to help myself up but good job <laughs> it's one of the only books at my library and like the book club kit that wasn't like diary of a wimpy kid or something like it like a kid's book for book club <laughs> what? so like my library has like limited kits that they have at each different locate like branch. Oh, okay. That you can um, rent, and I was like, I don't want to have to drive forty five minutes to the other library to get any of these other books. So I was just looking at the ones in my local library that we still had on hand, and that was the only one that sounded good. And the running joke in my book club is I always pick the books that have to do with like murder. So good job. I had to. I had to be on point. <laughs> I had to stay on brand. Feeling so. typecast here? Murder, a little bit. It's not your fault that murder just makes a good story. That's, <laughs> no. That's true. That's true. You didn't make the rule. It just happened. <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, and I felt pretty good about it when, like, I was setting up our meeting for next Saturday to, like, meet and talk about it. And, like, half the people were like, this was a really good book. And I was like, yes. Aww. 
that is awesome that's (laughs) such a good feeling no and it's hard no people act like it's not hard but it actually is difficult to find like a really good like can't put this down book so you Mm -hmm. should feel Mm -hmm. good about it because you did it yeah because we have and i've been in this book club for like a couple years now and we've definitely had some duds where it's like been a struggle (laughs) to finish reading these books but i wanted to like not make the person who picked it feel bad by not reading it you know what i mean like i wanted to actually read it and see if in the hopes that maybe half or three-fourths of the way through it would get better (laughs) yeah i've done that like it's really rare for me to just give up on a book Mm -hmm. like unless unless it turns out to be like something completely different than it's supposed to be i'm saying this so that i don't sound like an asshole when i say i gave up on moby dick like super hard (laughs) Um, but it's really rare for me to not finish a book like even if it is super difficult but i'm i'm like fucking struggling with the one that i'm reading right now it's not going well (sighs) yeah i only have like a handful of books where i've been like i just can't do it anymore yeah and it sucks when that happens because you're like, God damn it, I were I got how far mm-hmm. into this stupid yep. thing and I just can't take another page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the writing just goes on and on and you're like, when are you going to get to the freaking point? Or when it's just confusing. Or it's gone in a totally different direction. Like the first few chapters started off going one way and then they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to go this way now. And you're like, what? what? Why? Yeah. I didn't sign up for this. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't need a, a literature roller coaster here. Thank you. Yeah. Unless it's a good roller coaster. And then, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and this book was a good roller coaster, like I said. Well, on that note, I think I'm going to shut down the pizzeria. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a sadistic selection of urban legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy, and not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget... You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.